0: This um, overall session is on personal health and improvement. Um, the main reason, again, that we are going over personal health and improvement is to be able to maximize the longevity of your time in ministry. That's why many of you are here. You want to be effective in ministry. And I've seen too many people's ministry cut short because of physical ailments and such that they, couldn't, that they could have prevented, um, that have come to, to, a, to a halt. Um, So why don't we go ahead and begin? This this particular talk is on exercise and the improvement, the um, improvements that are made by exercise and the long-term benefits of exercise. And what I really hope to show you is that there really is probably for exercise more than any other um, health principle. There is. an overabundance of the benefit of exercise just well studied is one of those things that you can actually very well control for in studies um, more so than you can a lot of the other health principles and so i think that's part of the reason why there's a predominance of this but um, i just hope and encourage that we hoping i hope you gain some encouragement that this is something that you can consistently put into practice so why don't we go ahead and start with a word of prayer father in heaven we just want to thank you so much for allowing us to gather together again this afternoon. Um, Lord, we're just grateful to you um, that each one of us that I see here are able to move and to um, get around, but I know that um, many of us have challenges in this area also, the consistency of getting the exercise, and so I just pray that you would help me clearly articulate what those benefits are um, concerning exercise and health, and I pray that you would please um, help us each to take away something, even myself, and Affirm that commitment and the power to help us to put together those things we've learned. We thank you again in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. I want to give you a little bit of my personal testimony concerning um, concerning exercise. I um, don't have very good hand-eye coordination. My husband likes to joke around that um, if he wants to throw a ball at me, if I'm standing, or if sorry, if I want to throw a ball at him, if he's standing still. I'm more likely to miss him. Now, if he moves around, I'm more likely to actually hit him. And so that sort of was my my experience with exercise growing up. I just did not, um, wasn't really interested in it. I'd love to do it, but I just wasn't very competitive, and I couldn't really improve my hand-eye coordination. And I and so I, I, I it just didn't interest me very much until I took a um, summer school class for um, PE. Just thought, hey, you know, I'll, I'll get another extra credit over the summer so I can graduate a little bit sooner, take some other classes. And I'm taking the class, and what I ended up finding out was that um, while I still did not improve my hand-eye coordination that much, I I found that I could keep running. As long as my two feet were on the floor, I could keep going, and I could keep going for quite a while. And so that really got me excited because the guy who had the, the most athletic ability and I were the only two left about an hour after the, one of the running components of our exercise and the, the thing that just kept me going was the fact that I was running longer than he did and I was like, well, I didn't know I could do this, but I'll just keep going until I don't know what else to do. Well, I started um, exercising. This got me on a um, on a track of actually exercising um, and running consistently about an hour every day because I enjoyed it and I loved the feeling that I got after exercise. And I consistently, throughout the rest of high school, college, and through medical school, used to run consistently about six miles a day. Um, and it was really helpful, especially in a very stressful environment. Um, gave me better efficiency as far as sleep was concerned. Um, improved learning. Improved a lot of the issues with fatigue. I never, um, by God's grace, despite pulling from the time I was in, would um, probably say the last two years of medical school up until um, up until probably three or four years ago, I was consistently putting in an about eighty to one hundred and ten hours a week, consistently of, of working, which is not normal or good in any form or fashion. But um, by God's grace, the one thing I never had to take caffeine to help me keep awake and alert. And I believe that a significant component of that was um, the effect that exercise has on, um, on mood, on alertness, um, on activity. And I found also that, that water helped too, and we'll talk about that in the anxiety lecture next. But, um, but exercise was a significant impact, on, had a significant impact in my life and my overall health. One thing though happened, we, so we hit, I hit residency. Our residency, now I'm working more consistently, working you know probably 80 to 110 hours a week. And part of this was also because I, I wanted to um, spend more time with my patients, you know, praying with them, encouraging them after I was done doing, um, doing my t- typical rounds. And so I enjoyed doing that, but one of the challenges was this, Something had to give. You can't work 80 to 100 hours a week and still eat breakfast consistently, still exercise consistently and do all of these things. And so one of the things that ended up happening was that I noticed my efficiency all of a sudden. I mean, obviously working that kind of number of hours for a long period of time is going to break you down eventually. But um, fatigue started to worsen. Efficiency of sleep went down because my exercise went down also. I noticed that um, I had constipation, never struggled with bowel movements ever in, uh, that I could remember. And I was eating a plant-based diet by the end of residency, a fully plant-based diet by the end of residency, but, um, but just could not, um, just multiple problems, stress, anxiety, um, probably hit the deepest part of my depression during the first um, first uh, year of residency, in the first six months. And a lot of that, I believe, was due to a significant decrease in the exercise and movement. And what I'd like to encourage you with is to show you some of the benefits of exercise because that's one of the, the factors that I've had to come back and consistently put into my lifestyle that has been that that more than anything else um, that I found makes a difference while doing the plant-based diet to keep me efficiently being able to go especially under a very demanding calling, um, and that's what many of you will experience as you go in, the min- in ministry. That the laborers are few, right? And so, when that happens, oftentimes we end up taking on a little bit more than what what um, we would like to take on. God um, carries us through that, but there are limits to what we can do. And exercise is one of those things that we really need to make sure we keep into account. I want to share with you. This is a, a quote that came out of um, Christian Temperance and Bible Hygiene. Um, Written by um, Ellen White, more people die for want of exercise than from overwork. Very many more rust out than wear out. What is very interesting is this I've had many of my um, patients over the years that told me, you know, I got my osteoarthritis because I worked too hard. The interesting thing is this, when you go back and take a history, there was a period of time in which they did work very hard, use their muscles and and you know, quite significantly, use their joints quite significantly, but when you trace back to when their symptoms began, it began usually after a period of long sedentary lifestyle. And then after that period of time, so you're talking about three, four, five years of a more sedentary lifestyle that their symptoms actually started to to show up and then worsen. And many of them attributed to back what they did when they were kids or when they were in, um, they were in high school or college. And these are many years later after. And I'm going to show you some of the data that actually um, works, um, that, that speaks outside of that. I want to share with you one other story. Um, you guys remember um, James White. James White was um, Sister White's uh, husband. Um, very early, very early, I believe it was in the 1850s, in their ministry, he ended up suffering a breakdown from um, working way too hard in the ministry, taking on way too many responsibilities, and they essentially took a sabbatical for a year out. Um, if you have a chance to l- read the story, I, um, it's, I believe it's in select, possibly in selected messages. I can't, I'm not sure, but she talks about this period of time where. Um, where he just was not functional and he didn't want to do anything and she got to the point where she was just very anxious didn't know what to do for him and finally got the impression you know what I'm going to get him up and start doing things so one of the things that she did was she asked her son Willie to go and to buy um, three hoes specifically so that they could start tilling and moving the ground and working together And initially, James didn't want to do it. I don't know if any of you have ever been to that point in your life where you haven't been doing exercise consistently and then all of a sudden you need to start exercising again and the motivation just isn't there to do it consistently. This is sort of the state that he was in at the time. And so she would actually get him out there doing little things. He would initially not like to do it. As soon as he got started in doing it, his, his, um, his lifestyle would, have, would significantly improved. It took about a year and a half, but after consistently getting him outside and doing activity, especially outdoor activity, his functionality significantly improved. And then you know that for many more years afterwards, he was actually able to be effective in ministry. But even later on, one of the things that he struggled with was overwork. Many of us, again, are challenged with this idea. The one thing that seems to go as we get more and more involved in ministry is the consistency and the regularity of exercise. What is so important about exercise? We have 206 bones in our body, okay? We have a little over 600 skeletal muscles. You know, the numbers go between 600, 640, um, and... um, and at 700 concerning the actual named muscles that we have in the body, just because they're a little bit more difficult to define, um, more so than bones. Um, but bone, bones, especially joints, have something in common. Joints, especially, have cartilage between them. Okay. Cartilage between joints has no direct blood supply. Very, very important to remember that cartilage itself has no direct blood supply. So if you're looking at this picture, um, if this is being the cartilage right here, here's the joint, here's the um, cartilage itself, here's the synovial fluid, you've got the joint capsule um, around there, but the cartilage itself has no direct blood supply. Now here's the thing, every cell in your body, for the most part, produces um, waste products every cell in your body also requires nutrients to remain functional so here's the question if you are producing waste products and your blood vessel or vascular system is the way that we get rid or take away those waste products and if that blood vessel system or that vascular system is the way that we get nutrients to the cartilage how does or to to any tissue or any cell in the body how on earth is cartilage going to be able to get rid of waste products and to um, gain nutrients if there's no direct blood vessel supply? Ten guesses. <laughs> Exercise. Exercise. Uh-huh. But why? So here's the thing. In between the cartilage you see here, you have what they call synovial fluid. Okay, When you, you've got a joint, let's say this in particular just looking at the knee joint, when you move that joint when you step and move down on that joint that joint comes together pushes out the synovial fluid okay when you step back up off that joint the synovial fluid comes back in so now your cell is working it's producing waste products it needs some nutrition how is it going to get rid of the waste products well when that synovial fluid when that synovial fluid will exchange the waste products with the cartilage when you move, it pushes that out, and the synovial fluid takes the waste products away, gathers the nutrients, and then when you step back up, it delivers the nutrients to, to again, be diffused across to, to the cells for your cartilage. Because if the waste products remain, especially from a sedentary lifestyle, you'll have destruction of that cartilage over time, and you will not be able to deliver the nutrients sufficient to keep that cartilage intact. You have to, you are designed to move and if you do not move, you will have a wearing away and a wasting away of that cartilage. The interesting thing is this um, i'm sure if it's yeah in this city one of the things that we're told oftentimes people are said, you know I have really bad joint pain from my osteoarthritis I shouldn't move that's actually contradictory in fact, two years ago the American college of uh, the American College of Rheumatology made an official statement that said, look, whenever we've looked at the overwhelming evidence from the studies repeatedly over and over again, the number of good days and improvement in quality of life and decrease of pain concerning concerning osteoarthritis in particular, the wearing away of that cartilage, is that those who move have fewer days of pain, fewer length of pain and debility. and they're able to function long-term. What this means is that they're able to stay active longer because that's what we want to do. The last thing that we want to do is not to be able to function and to go around without being able to do that. This is, um, this is, the state, this is one of the... the um, actually, this one is on gastrointestinal health. I apologize. Let me, Let me... Actually, I'm just going to go down really quickly. Let me... Sure, this is the data on arthritis. I apologize, I must have switched it around. Um, what they found is this. So meta-analysis, meaning they look at all of the studies that are out there on this, and what they found was that um, exercise is important in osteoarthritis management, and especially so when weight loss is associated with it. Okay. One of the things in particular in women that they found was if they strengthen the quadriceps, especially when it came that's and quadriceps means this the thigh th- your your um, thigh muscles when you're able to strengthen the quadriceps and can be done by weight-bearing exercises just like walking can also be done if you know by light even stretch band exercises um, if you're not able to go to a gym with strengthening the quadriceps I actually found they were able to significantly prevent and even with those that had um, osteoarthritis already developing were able to decrease the amount of pain that came from osteoarthritis both um hel- so it's not just the quadriceps but also the hip muscles um the other thing to know is this this was an incredible study this actually came out of australia they were looking at a community of um of uh, elderly patients over the age of 50. um to me it's funny they said elderly patients and i sat there and i thought man the older i get that sounds really really young but uh, but um, they took these patients and they they had them they did MRI on their knee okay measuring the amount of cartilage and all they did the only intervention they didn't even do nutritional intervention just had them exercising 30 minutes a day walking that was it nothing else they actually showed after that six months and one year on MRI that they improved in the density and the thickness of the cartilage okay increase not wearing away, not, I mean, increase, and it's not that just because it's worn away that it stays away. Understand that our tissues actually have a significant ability to rejuvenate, and we've seen this countless numbers of times with patients that are struggling with osteoarthritis, that if they get out and consistently exercise, they're able to do better. Now, we'll talk about how to exercise um, when it comes to arthritis, but let me... um, Go back to some of the other benefits that we were talking about. Um, so that's one thing is, is the benefit that we know with exercise. Gastrointestinal health. Um, light and moderate exercise was well-tolerated and benefited patients with inflammatory bowel disease and liver disease. We are having an increasing number of people that have inflammatory bowel disease, increasing numbers of people that are um, with Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and there are even other autoimmune diseases of the bowel that that they're finding that if these patients are consistently physically active, they're able to decrease the morbidity and the mortality associated with those those that have um, the inflammatory bowel disease. It includes also liver disease. I remember we talked about it a little bit, just briefly, in the nutrition lecture on a disease called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. This is becoming the number one reason for a person to have hepatitis here in the United States, where you know we used to think it's you know viral hepatitis that would cause us, or alcoholic hepatitis even more so. Um, it's pretty much associated with um, lifestyle lack of exercise and poor nutrition but in 2000 it was either 2010 or 11 july they demonstrated by biopsy that if they put um patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease into multiple groups one of the groups was nutrition high fiber low fat diets the other group was moderate exercise and the third group was a combination of the two in every single group there was a statistically significant regression of disease of the infl- inflammation that was actually seen in the, um, in the liver cells. Physical activity, the other thing that is that it improves gastric emptying, right? We talked about the migrating motor complex and how, how when we exercise, we're able to move and improve our digestive health. Well, even more so, one of the things we notice is that it improves the emptying of our, our stomach food, um, getting out of our stomach. Why does it matter? Because people talk about the bloating and the, the reflux and the, um, the ingestion that they get, especially after eating. Um, interestingly, if this, is, if this is combined doing a moderate walk for 5 to 10 minutes after exercise, those with gastrointestinal symptoms Um, Notice a significant improvement or decrease in their bloating, in their reflux, in their um, uh, if they if they do that what we call a digestive walk. Um, We know that exercise lowers the risk of colon cancer. That's probably the cancer um, in which with which exercise has has the highest link or improvement. Part of it they believe may be because of the um, increased uh, or the uh, the shortened time for uh, eliminating. food through the GI system. But here's one thing to take caution on because we want to be wise when we exercise, right? Exercise is good, but acute strenuous exercise where you're overtaxing the body actually has been shown to actually stop the GI system from functioning well. And we know that we have good counsel from Spirit of Prophecy actually talking about that. When we're doing aggressive exercise, we can actually inhibit um, inhibit our, gas, our, um, our GI system from being able to properly move the food through, and this especially happens after—not uh, just sorry—not just after eating. Um, it also will prevent the gastrointestinal system, both the stomach and the small bowel, from being able to absorb nutrients very well. Now again, we're talking about strenuous exercise. We're talking more into the anaerobic range than we are talking about the aerobic range of exercise. Um, the other thing also, they found this, and this was more so with athletes, um, strenuous exercise, especially when combined with dehydration, if people were not hydrating uh, along with it, this is for those, again, that do a lot of, a lot of um, more intense exercise, they would have um, uh, gastrointestinal bleeding. And most of the reasons for this um, came from the fact that the uh, GI tract was actually um, so a gut ischemia, meaning that the GI tract was not getting sufficient blood. OK, what does that have to do with it? Understand that when we're talking about issues of ulcers, bleeding, or the lining of the GI tract being interrupted, it is because of the health of the circulation to the GI tract. The, the circulation to that GI tract maintains that lining. And anything that impairs that poor nutrition, lack of exercise, or even excessive exercise will disrupt that lining. Um, one of the and again it's actually seen more so um with patients that do or or, um uh people that do long distance running um more so than any of the uh, the other other sorry the other exercises um the other thing let me see vascular health okay it's pretty much hands-on there's no one that argues with the fact that exercise improves cardiac function so i'm not going to go into as much detail with that but one of the things i want to specifically talk about is this we talk about um, clotting, the ability of, of our blood to be able to move smoothly without forming clumps or clots that then get thrown off, okay? This is a factor both in our arteries and in our veins. This, um, they were talking about, um, in this particular study, they were wanting to look, or an analysis, they were wanting to look at um, why it is that exercise changes how our blood clots or how our how our blood um, moves two things exercise will actually decrease the thickening or the forming of clots through an, a factor called prothrombin fragments okay this is one of those markers that we can actually um, look at to be able to determine how um, how how much you're going to throw off a clot the risk of throwing off a clot either that to end up causing something like um, uh, a clot to the pulmonary embolus or a clot to the lung but even throwing off clots from our heart, um, the blood vessels in our heart downstream additionally this is the same in the in when you're talking about the risk for stroke okay one of the things though that is very important to understand is if you go from a sedentary lifestyle and then all of a sudden acutely start to vigorously exercise you will actually increase the risk of that clot or that thrombosis at breaking off and, and um, or of the um, plaque breaking off from the blood vessel and going downstream. Does that make sense? In the sense that you can't go from zero to 100 in one day, right? You can't go from having not exercised a lot. That's why we use the principle of starting low and going slow, building up the exercise rather than going out and and just you know hitting um, you know long periods of time of very stressed strenuous aggressive exercise Um, and we found this and this is why especially in our in our lifestyle centers when patients come in with a history of having heart disease with a history of having stroke we actually ask them look be very careful start and slowly build up and record the amount of exercise do small amounts multiple times a day okay when you are starting exercise especially if you have increased risk factors family history you've not been eating well if you're much older you're starting in the 30 40 50 year old range and maybe you don't have heart disease yet but you have high risk factors for it high cholesterol high blood pressure you do not want to just rapidly increase your exercise okay um, one of the other things you know it's really impressive when we look at our cancer patients those who already have cancer because many people would say, well, look, if you haven't prevented the cancer, what's the point of starting exercise right now? The data is, I mean, it was just, I, I loved when I was reading through this study and looking at the other studies from which they were drawing the data from. This is actually a meta-analysis, so just pulling together a bunch of studies. Um, what they found is this, evidence of the benefits of exercise for cancer survivors are in the areas of psychological and quality of life. For many cancer patients, that's the one thing they want to know. Look, if I can improve my quality of life, that in and of itself would be, would be helpful. Um, cancer-related fatigue, physical functioning, body weight and consumption, and, um, sorry, com- on com- blah, body weight and the composition, meaning the um, amount of fat versus muscle. One of the things that's important understanding is that if, especially with patients who have had cancer or who are survivors of cancer, if they can decrease body weight, they're able to decrease their risk of recurrence of cancer. And with exercise, they're able to significantly improve this. They're able to improve muscle strength and endurance meaning that they're able to last longer, especially between bouts of treatment. Um, the other things that you know, we know about the improvement in immune function and cardiovascular health, it may also reduce the risk of cancer recurrence as we've mentioned. Um, and then the other thing was this, that it also alleviated symptoms that interfered with the daily life. How many times have you noticed a cancer patient who has difficulty, especially with the gastrointestinal health? That's one of the things that they noticed, those that were consistently involved with an exercise program. They were able, even if it was small amounts, multiple times a day, they were actually able to have better, um, better quality of life when it came to appetite, diarrhea, um, even uh, pain, constipation, and depression, those are all things that will actually worsen the course of cancer these are looking at different um, different types of cancer you probably can't see this as well i just wanted to to look that we're this is looking at what it is why it is that certain cancers are benefited from from uh, from exercise and physical activity you know interestingly um, exercise especially in young people young children one of the things that they notice is that those who are consistently regularly exercising the time to when they actually have their first menses or period is um, is extended or the the um, age at which they actually start their period is actually longer than those that um, those that are sedentary why does this make a difference when you're talking about breast cancer the amount of exposure of estrogen during that time is actually one of the risk factors towards um, towards the development of breast cancer part of the reason why we encourage people to keep active even as young as little and as young as you can you can start children Um, The other thing is that when exercise reduces fat, especially the fat around um, our organs, we're able to decrease the amount of the conversion of of estrogen in our body. So estrogen is not only derived from the ovaries, right? We also have the conversion of it um, in in our visceral fat. So one of the things that we notice is that it reduces the fat produced estrogens and so may minimize and decrease the risk of breast cancer even with those of the family history of breast cancer. Um, when you're looking at um, when you're looking at colon cancer, I mentioned also there's this, there's significant um, improvement concerning that. The other things are these, and this is what this is just looking at cancer in general. Some of the reasons why ca- exercise actually improves um, or decreases the risk of cancer. One is this: it increases the number of circulating lymphocytes that we have. Now those lymphocytes, so these are our white, um, are specifically a type of white blood cell that we have. They will actually um, be able to l- increase the risk of being able to, I guess, when, when cancer cells are moving around our body, they're around there. They don't always produce a full-blown tumor, a malignant tumor. Exercise is able to help us fight off those cancer cells as they are um, as they're circulating. The other thing is that we know that insulin resistance, we talked about that metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance promotes cancer. Exercise significantly reduces insulin resistance even before weight loss happens. I um, Those are the main things um, that, are, that are there with, with exercise and cancer. Um, the other thing that is um, interesting is when you look at an elderly population, we know that our elderly population, especially with the increased length of, of time of living, has a significant increase in the frequency of um, immune dysfunction, especially in the, in the form of infections, recurrent infections. Exercise has been found to consistently reduce the number of infections, especially when done consistently. Um, one of the things that is found is this, the benefit is greater if we start earlier it is a it's a lot more difficult to be able to improve that immune function or for us to see that improvement in immune function when we start later but the sooner that 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 the younger you are when you start that exercise the effect actually lasts as you get older okay um exercise and memory. This is another thing that is actually pretty significant. So we know that exercise which improves better if you do without reading here, which improves better short or long-term memory with what is where is the data on as far as as far as improvement in memory, short or long-term memory when it comes to exercise. Which which um which is which do we have more evidence as far as data is concerned in improvement after exercise? Shorter long-term, huh? long-term, just, no, it's, it's short-term, but that's okay, <laughs> no, short-term memory, so here's the thing, there are two things, long-term memory does improve, but it improves in, in, this, um, in this way, let me show you, uh, let me see if I can, uh, I, didn't, I didn't put it on this slide, so one of the things that happens in sh- in a, after you exercise, one of the things that's noticed is that memory peaks, especially four hours after exercise, okay, vigorous exercise and your ability to be able to recall those things that you've learned is is, um, lengthened or is improved the efficiency at which you're able to remember them is improved if you're consistently exercising but one of the things that they found is this even if we don't see significant improvements in long-term memory what it does do is this long-term sorry not long-term memory long-term exercise um i'm sorry I, i think i've just confused some of the words let me try this again short-term or long-term exercise and the effect on memory it the doing short durations of exercise help with short-term memory okay long-term exercise we've not seen any change in what it does for memory but what it does do is this when you have long term when you are consistently regularly exercising you're able to prime your mind, your memory, your brain, to actually be able to take in short-term memory better after, short-term, after a short amount of exercise, if that makes any sense. So that if you're consistently, regularly exercising the day that you go out and you do exercise, your efficiency to be able to gain the benefits of exercise for that memory is actually improved after that, that short bout of exercise. Okay. Um, the other thing is this, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Has anybody heard of this? BDNF. Um, it's been in the, um, it's been one of those things that they've been trying to manipulate and to, to um, use to be able to increase the growth of neurons um, in the body. When, when you and I think or learn a task, we have we have our capacity to be able to learn news tasks is measured by what we call neuroplasticity okay and we're able and capable to learn long term even into um, even as we get older one of the things that we find is that um, when uh, just talking about what neuroplasticity is If you are learning a new task, you've got to learn it in the short term, but you need to be able to recall it in the long term. And the way that you do it is by reinforcing synapses in your brain. Brain Brain-derived neurotrophic factor actually helps you form more and more of these connections so that you can learn something easier, especially when you do it repeatedly. What they did in this, in, um, when they looked at, this is a meta-analysis of several studies, they looked at exercise. One, they looked at exercise after just one single session of exercise from people that are, are, um, are, there were several studies that looked at exercise, one session in people that don't exercise regularly. Okay. The other thing that they looked at was, they looked at the levels of brain-derived neurotrophic factor for those who regularly exercise. Just What is the level, with, even when they're not exercising? then they took people that had been regularly exercising and they measured the levels of brain derived neurotrophic factor of those who had been regularly exercising just after they had a short-term amount of exercise what they found was this if somebody and again this is the, the more BDNF that you have the more your capacity and ability to learn any new task that even means learning new behaviors okay that's where i really want you to focus on so it's not just learning new physical and motor tasks but it's learning even new behaviors the interesting thing is this after one bout of exercise you're able to significantly increase your bdnf the the amount or the production of these of this neurotropic factor that helps you create new synapses in learning okay when you are um when you um, are regularly consistent, consistently exercising, we see a small increase in the amount of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, just in general, that's hanging around in your system. Even more so, if you've been regularly exercising and then you do your, you do your regular exercise the next day, short term after that, your BDNF um, uh, levels significantly increase, more so than they did after just one single bout of binge exercising meaning that your ability to learn especially after exercise is improved if you're consistently and regularly exercising does that make sense yeah in in, well in the sense that it means that if you so if if you have an exercise for let's say you have an exercise for three months and then you decide to go out and just do a, a good bout of exercise and you've got you know you're studying you're in school um, I'll just use that factor instead of, um, instead of behavior. You're in school, you're trying to learn something, you go out and you exercise, your ability to be able to learn um, is improved shortly after that exercise, okay? Even if you hadn't been exercising for a long time. But if you're consistently exercising, after you do exercise, your ability to do that is enhanced significantly. The effect is always greater after the exercise is immediately done, but the, exercise, the effect is compounded if you've been already regularly exercising. Okay. Um, and again, what does that mean? The whole point being this. I, you know the way one of the things the biggest challenges for patients when they're trying to change lifestyle and change behavior is learning new behaviors learning and unlearning habits exercise helps you do this I don't know if you remember the data that came out this is probably at least 10 15 years ago that showed that the one behavior factor that they found to actually that where if a person incorporated this behavior, In their lifestyle that they were able to stick with whatever lifestyle program they did the one that had the most effect was those that stuck with their exercise routine if they stuck consistently with that many of the rest of their behaviors as part of that lifestyle actually were improved Um, part of the reason may be from again the effectiveness of BDNF brain derived neurotrophic factor Um, exercise and sleep okay um, when we're looking at the National Sleep Foundation, one of the things they found out, looking at just the data that had come out, this was also a more recent study, recent in the sense it was done in 2011, that again showed that when you're looking at the pharmaceuticals we use for sleep, exercise, consistent daily exercise, and what they're looking at is about 150 minutes of exercise over a one week period significantly helps improve quality of sleep 65% improvement in sleep it's very important to remember this because one of the things that many people struggle with as time goes on is the efficiency of sleep and one of the things that may be contributing to that because they find that actually adults older adults that are very active are able to sleep almost as well as they did when they were in their younger stages of life, if, again, if they're active. But the question is, do, are, you know, do we stay active? And again, the amount that was needed for sleep, the amount, amount needed for sleep versus the amount needed for um, heart disease and, and diabetes is different. But for sleep, they're talking about 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity a week. Another effectiveness was seen um, in dealing with stress we have um, we have all of our cells replicate okay we have the DNA in our cells that have to replicate and when they replicate um, the whenever the cell replicates our DNA is replicated but that DNA at the very end has a little um, I guess marker tail called a telomere that telomere every time it replicates shortens a little bit okay mistakes are made and it doesn't get replicated appropriately and so our Body goes back and it can fix some of those, but it doesn't fix them very well. As a result, what ends up happening is that every time we replicate, that DNA shortens just a little bit. Once that telomere is gone, the cell quits replicating. One of the things that we found is that stress, repeated, um, repeated um, impact of stress in our lives, depletes or shortens the length of those t- telomeres keeps them from being able to correct the mistakes that are made when those cells are replicating. So essentially, stress ages our cells. They keep them from being able to last as long. But if a person consistently, regularly exercises, what we find is this. Those cells are better protected against the effects of stress on those telomeres, meaning that even in despite stress, you're actually able to keep the long the longevity and the um, young age of your cells. Does that make sense? Does that see a few a few confused? Does it? Are you? Does it? No. So essentially, what what this is 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 that your cells have to your cells have to have to keep replicating, and there's a little tail that hangs out in your in um, a part in your chromosomes of your cell. Um, that has to be there for the cell to keep replicating. If you're exposed to stress, those telomeres shorten, those, that tail shortens. And so eventually when that tail is gone, those cells age, they die. They go what we call senescence, into what we call senescence. And so what that means is they, they tend to, you, it ages your body faster. And, the, and this is even actually seen in the aging of your immune cells. You're, that's why part, they re, they believe that part of the reason why as we grow older we're not able to fight off infection as well okay especially with repeated exposure to stress but one of the things that will prevent that from happening when you're exposed to repeated stress is if you are consistently regularly exercising your cells don't age as much okay the other thing that exercise does is it increases beta endorphins now many of us what are what do we think of when we think of beta endorphins Chemicals? Okay, I thought you were saying crazy. <laughs> Chemicals in your brain, right? Yeah. What do they? But what, what? do we? What do they? What do they help us with? What do they do? Energy? Your your feel good hormones, right? Is that's how people oftentimes say it. Your mood hormones. They increase mood. But one of the things to understand is they not only help us feel good, right? One of the things that they do is these are the things that fill our opioid receptors in our body what are opioids where have you heard opioids before opiates or opioids opium right? we're thinking of pain medication a lot of pain medication okay there are receptors in our body that a lot of these pain medications target but understand that our body long before we discovered opium and we you know started making opioids into medications our body created its own natural opioid beta endorphins are that so what we find is that patients with chronic pain are better able to tolerate their pain if they are consistently regularly exercising because of the production of beta endorphins that will actually help fit the place where these neurotransmitters, um, where, sorry, fit the um, receptors where the opioid pain medications that we typically think of go. You know, I'll tell you one thing that's really interesting about this in exposure to sunlight, our skin, the hair follicle cells and the melanocytes, our skin pigment cells, actually produce even more beta endorphins. So actually, the effect is compounded if you go outside and you, um, and you exercise in the sunlight. You're actually able to produce more of these beta endorphins, so more of those feel-good hormones, but even more so our pain-subsiding um, hormones in our body right? This is especially encouraging if you or you know someone that you're helping or health coaching or or encouraging who has chronic pain, getting them to get out and regularly exercise will actually improve their long-term perception of the chronic pain. But additionally, when they're out in the exercise, when they're doing their exercise outdoors, it helps. We talked about the exercise. This is where I was mentioning with arthritis. One of the things that is very important when it comes to arthritis is when you do have osteoarthritis you will um, immediately after exercising there's an increase of inflammation increase of blood vessel flow or um, circulation to the joint and there is an increase of inflammatory markers and so when you're when you have already damaged tissue You'll feel the, You can feel the pain, not necessarily right then, but later on because of the stiffness that comes with, um, with the osteoarthritis after exercising. And this is a very common thing that people mention. Oh, I exercised the other day, but then I came back, and what I noticed was that I was really stiff the next, and I couldn't move. I couldn't get out and do what I needed to do. One thing we found consistently is if, the, if after exercising, immediately after exercising, if you can ice for about 20 minutes you're able to decrease the stiffness that will come later on and impair your ability to exercise long-term. So whenever we're talking to people that have osteoarthritis, we mention exercise consistently, but then ice the joints. It's almost like, I don't know if any of you used to do aggressive, intense exercise, athletics. They used to talk about taking ibuprofen immediately after intensive, aggressive exercise. It was that anti-inflammatory effect that they were trying to do to prevent the long-term damage to the joints. And um, the interesting thing is that now they use what they call ice baths, dunking a lot of our athletes into ice baths to be able to prevent long-term injury. Again, much of the benefit can be derived just simply by by using ice immediately after exercise, even if the joint is not hurting. It will prevent the long-term stiffness that occurs in the joint. And so our patients consistently, the ones who will regularly, consistently ice, they're able to maintain their exercise activity longer and not just cut it short because of pain. One of the things that, uh, just as sort of a practical tip, um, gel packs, it's a little bit more challenging. If you don't have ice at home, one of the things that I encourage people to do is to uh, make their own gel packs. Gel packs can run anywhere from 20 to $30 um, uh, just for one pack and what I did was so you know you can google anything on the internet nowadays and we actually made some um at home caro syrup okay not good for consumption but caro syrup is wonderful in that when you put it in the freezer it maintains a gel-like consistency a flexibility just like a gel pack does and what you can do is um Two, two liters so you can get them in liter bottles they're only about um, maybe five dollars a bottle at the most at the absolute most for a liter um, ten for ten dollars you can actually make one, you can take a gallon ziploc bag put some of the syrup in there to make you know you lay it out lay it flat and it makes a uh, pack about an inch not even an inch maybe half an inch thick if you pour that in there you can do one of the gallon packs and four quart size packs just out of two liters of kerosene so for 10 bucks you can make yourself four little gel packs one large one and three small ones to use um, regularly for exercise and it stays cold for an hour plus afterwards um and it's it's just a simple practical thing for yourself or if you've got anybody if you know anyone else who's struggling with pain especially after exercise the other nice thing about the gel packs is that they're flexible Um, all right um we talked about osteoarthritis um questions so far on the benefits and we're going to talk about um how to exercise we're almost almost done with this section but any questions about the things we talked about about the benefits of exercise no all right um how to exercise this is the funny thing. Many of us are not sure. You know, what? How much exercise do we need to do? How do we need to start? What's the benefit? Where, where do we go? What have we What we found over What I found, especially over the last four years of working with people who are consistently trying to improve their exercise, one, if you get into the anaerobic range, meaning that you're you're getting past an, an, a, a proper heart rate, your target heart rate for exercise. And that's different for everybody. When you're getting past into that range where you're actually starting to um, go into what we call oxidative stress, you're starting to build up lactic acid, you're essentially negating the benefits and the effectiveness of your exercise. Okay? What does that mean? That's different for everybody. For some people, that means going out and sprinting. Okay? For other people, that may mean pushing the exercise way beyond the limit of what you're able to do. And that is why, especially when you're starting, I encourage you to start low and go slow. Specifically, one of the things that, um, let me see, let me, oh, where to go, interval training. Um, how many of you guys know, know what interval training is? Can you, how would you describe interval training? What's a layman's way of being able to describe interval training? Yeah, so that's different. So essentially, you're changing the intensity of your exercise during your exercise, okay? And it can be in very different ways. You know, you could use a um, you could use a heart rate monitor to be able to do that if you want to. But what they found at Lifestyle Centers of America was this: that people could gain the benefits from um, interval training even if they just use their body gauge as a gauge. So they would start walking at a brisk pace, and then they would push for as long as they could feel like they could consistently do a more brisk pace, okay? Then when they felt like they needed to recover they would slow down. Once they felt like they had recovered and they could push again, they would push. When they felt like they needed to recover, they would back off. If they did this consistently, instead of having to sit and look at a a heart rate monitor and whatnot they actually found that they were able to consistently um, Uh, gain the benefits that came with interval training. What does interval training do? Why is it better to do the interval training than just to keep one pace at a time? One, you increase the endurance and the efficiency of both your heart and your muscles to be able to tolerate exercise. We know that interval training is actually associated with better weight loss. There are different hypotheses on that. Even if people um, tend to, quote unquote, burn more calories after an intense amount of exercise, they believe that part of the reason that they may not burn off as many calories is that they, they may eat to compensate for it versus they feel a lot more refreshed and their GI system is not as disturbed if they do more of the interval training, the the um, uh, brisk pace and then a push, brisk pace and then a push. There are a couple of things. I don't know of the physiology, the path physiology on why it's more beneficial, but do find that that, that is um, improved. There are other versions of interval training. Gardening, intense gardening, is a type of interval training. It's you're digging and then stopping, digging and stopping, moving and stopping, pulling weeds. Then you sit back and you rest for a little bit. You dig, pull weeds, and you sit back and you rest a little bit. Um, one of the other things that we notice is that people are less likely to get injured if they do interval training than if they um, than if they do just one consistent, intense pace uh, long term. One thing that I want to encourage you, especially with exercise, exercise that is beneficial. Is, you're more likely to stick, stick with exercise that is beneficial than you are with exercise that you feel like doesn't have purpose. If you are a person that does not like to exercise, your likelihood of sticking with exercise if, you're, if, you're, if, you, don't, or if you don't have or find some purpose in being able to do it, it significantly decreases. So finding something you enjoy is really important. That may mean finding a group that you can exercise with or an exercise partner with, because then there's an added motivation in it. It's social time, time to spend with your family. Um, other ways of doing this are things like gardening, okay? Especially for those, even if, even if all you grow are weeds. That's what, <laughs> that's what one of my, my friends had said, you know, Dr. Hillman, you're really good at growing weeds. Even if you are one of the things that, that people, people enjoy, the benefit that comes from being able to, to, to garden, the nice thing is you can rest and not worry about whether you're, you have to walk the entire distance back, right? Um, what are other ways, let me ask you, if you were to give practical tips to somebody of being able to incorporate exercise in a way that is enjoyable to someone who doesn't enjoy exercise, what are things that you would suggest for that? Yeah, rollerblading. So finding things that are fun, things like rollerblading, going swimming. One of the things that makes it unenjoyable for people is is the fact that if they're in a lot of pain, if you initially especially have a lot of weight and significant osteoarthritis, breaking up the exercising with um, non-weight-bearing exercising like swimming helps improve your consistency of and regularity of exercise, walking in the water, you know. Um. The other thing is actually, like I said, doing things that are are beneficial. you know, um, when you're exercising, there are there are um, places where you can go, uh, animal shelters where you can go and take animals for a walk. you know One of our, our guests just could not get herself to exercise, but she made a date with the animal shelter. Every day she would go and she would walk the dogs consistently. And it's funny, she hated animals, but she, but she said, look, if I made a commitment to doing this, then I'll go and I'll do it. And when she did, she actually found herself actually enjoying the gaining a double benefit, just enjoying the company of the animals around and the enjoying the company of being or the ability to be able to return the animals when, they're, when she was done too. But I mean, just finding different ways to be able to creatively figure out exercise, yes. I'm gonna repeat what you said for the benefit of those um, that are there. So variety is very important in exercise. Um, and it's Dr. Hess. Dr. Hess had mentioned that what he recommends to his patients is, doing, is having variety in exercise. Meaning that you get bored with your food, you can also get bored with your exercise. So finding different things. You walk one day, you you, you know split wood one day, you go hiking another day, you go swimming another day, you do biking another day. Um, doing different things, changing up your environment so that you're not bored with um, with what you're doing, okay? One thing that does help is also consistency. If you do the exercise at the same time every day, you are more likely to stick with your exercise routine. In fact, this is so much so to one degree. You know, many people have noticed if they miss one day, it becomes then miss missing three days and then missing ten days. One of the things that we found that really helps patients is if, if they're not very well motivated to exercise, they set a timer every day that they're going to exercise. It doesn't matter what that time is, but they consistently set a timer to go and exercise. And all they're required to do is to exercise for 10 minutes, but it has to be outside, okay? Even if it's down the sidewalk and back, but it, has, it can't be to the refrigerator and it can't be to the bathroom and wherever else, but it's just, it's gotta be outside. If they go out and they take the 10 steps, that's usually the hump that they need to get over to be able to just continue walking. They think, you know, I might as well, I came out this far, I'll do it. One of my patients hated, I mean, really, I was was working in um, Clear Lake um, here in California, and she just looked at me, she said, oh, if one more person tells me to exercise, I'm just gonna scream. She says, I can't exercise for 30 minutes a day. And I asked her, I said, look, I didn't ask you to exercise 30 minutes a day you tell me how much you want to exercise and she said really I can pick I was like yeah you pick whatever however much exercise you want to pick she said I'll do five minutes I said fine here's the agreement though what I want you to do is I want you to do five minutes every day and it's got to be at the same time every day I said once you're consistently doing it every day after about two weeks I want you to increase it to 10 minutes she was what is five minutes of exercise going to benefit me? She said, five minutes isn't going to do anything. I said, look, just do the five minutes consistently. After two weeks, you can increase it to 10 minutes if you want to. And after two weeks of doing the 10 minutes consistently, you can increase it to 15 minutes. You know, by the time that I saw her, I think it was about two months later, she was consistently exercising 25 minutes every single day. And she just set the timer to exercise at the same time every single day. And it started off with just five minutes a day. And she, at this point, was feeling so good, she was looking forward to being able to increase and actually get to that 30 minutes that she was dreading before. So again, my encouragement to you is as much as possible to be able to make it practical, do it consistently, and doing it at the same time. What happens if you come to the end of a busy day and you realize you did not exercise? One of the things that has been found is if you go out, behavior when you're looking at behavior and exercise and lifestyle modification, if you go out and just do something outside for even five or 10 minutes, you're more likely the next day to go out and to do get back into your regular exercise routine. Okay? So even if you've come to the end of the day and you realize, ah, I didn't exercise, let me go and do This, this will help. Pedometers help, being able to measure and gauge. There are a lot of people that think, well, I walk around the house a lot, you know? I used to think I walked around work a lot. And so I grabbed a pedometer just to see, you know, do I really get in my 10,000 steps that they recommend a day? And what I found was I probably did a lot more sitting and charting than I really realized that I was doing or standing and charting even. And I was getting at the most maybe 3,000 steps a day despite the fact that I thought I was walking quite a bit encouragement to you is use a gauge and monitor you can find probably if you wanted to get a good got thir- good pedometer um, the the least expensive for really good pedometer that I could find is roughly about 25 to 30 bucks that you can actually spend and invest in um, you don't have to buy a hundred dollar and GPS monitoring and this and that and whatever just one that that when you wiggle it isn't gonna move but we'll do something a little bit better than that um, just get up a pedometer and look at your steps. And as you record the steps every day and you set goals for yourself, what you find is that if you have goals in mind, you're actually able to do it consistently. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. Dot audioverse.org